0: Hey, daters, are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds On Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code doctor, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. As we enter the holiday season, I imagine that you are looking forward to a season full of friends, family, and celebrations. But I also know this time of year can be full of stress with traveling and hunting for the perfect gift for your loved ones. And that's why I'm so excited to bring you a special offer that goes beyond the typical gift-giving frenzy. This year, Give the gift of relational self-awareness. From now until December 20th, all of my online offerings are 20% off when you give them to a loved one. You can take this opportunity to share my hallmark course, Intimate Relationships 101, which focuses on building the strongest foundation for a thriving intimate relationship, relational self-awareness. This could be the perfect gift for the young adult in your life who's just beginning their journey with dating and partnership. This offer also includes 20% off my e-course, Can I Trust You Again? Rebuilding After Betrayal or Deceit. This e-course could serve as a gentle gift to a friend who's struggling in the aftermath of betrayal and deceit. Finally, the Reimagining Love workbook serves as a companion to this podcast. So this workbook would be a great gift for another Reimagining Love listener in your life. Visit DrAlexandraSolomon.com slash gift guide 2023 to explore these offerings. Alongside the sale, you'll also find suggestions for how to give these gifts in the most empathic and compassionate way. With your purchase of a course or the workbook, you'll receive a gift card to share with your loved one at the time that you choose. Visit DrAlexandraSolomon.com slash gift guide 2023. You can also find that link in the episode's show notes. This offer of 20% off my online offerings is only valid from now until December 20th. So I hope you take advantage of this unique chance to share the gift of relational self-awareness as you and your loved ones move into a new year. Happy learning and loving. Hi there. Welcome back to Reimagining Love. We are diving in to part 2 of my solo series that is all about health habits specifically your feelings about your partner's less than ideal health habit last week in part 1 we explored why this topic is just so sticky and so complicated and i offered you two contextual factors to frame the conversation the idea number 1 that health behaviors happen on a spectrum and number two, that health behaviors are pretty profoundly impacted by privilege. Also in part one, I discussed how we can practice relational self-awareness by understanding the degree to which our desire to change our partner is coming from, is originating from the energy of fear versus the energy of love. And now today, here together in part two, I'm going to help us think about this problem in a relational way by introducing you to the idea of a health habit discrepancy, and we're going to discuss four root causes that might be shaping this discrepancy between you and your partner, and then I'm going to spend a little time speaking to each of you, offering guidance to the one who wants their partner to change and the one who's being asked to change. And as a reminder, because this series is pretty darn emotionally rich, nuanced, challenging, I made you a companion worksheet, and that is for newsletter subscribers. So if you want to join the weekly newsletter, head to DrAlexandraSolomon.com slash subscribe or find the link in the show notes. We're going to include the worksheet in the next few newsletters so that you don't miss it. All right. Does that all sound good? Let's dive in. So when we explore one of these relational knots together, I really like to put a big, juicy relational frame around it because it's so easy for couples to get finger pointy, to get stuck in cycles of blame and shame, to try to figure out whose fault this is, who's in the right, who's in the wrong. And one of the ways that we can kind of move ourselves out of that either or perspective is into more of a relational perspective is through framing, a different kind of framing. So I want to talk about health habit discrepancies. So we know that we're not ever going to partner with somebody who's a clone of ourselves. And we know that differences are spaces that are ripe for conflict, for power dynamics, and polarization. That polarization happens when we get stuck in that right, wrong, good, bad kind of stance. We start to pull further and further away from us. And if health behaviors, remember I said in the beginning that health behaviors happen on a spectrum from neglectful to neurotic with most of us living somewhere in between. So you and your partner, you you know—you could probably take a number, you could probably itemize 10 different health habits and you and your partner don't live in the exact same spot on that spectrum. Well, the problem here is that Any wedge of light between where you are on the spectrum and where your partner is on the spectrum is ripe for misunderstanding. It's ripe for battles of wills. It's ripe for polarization. So I want in this section to give you some ideas for how you can get curious about where this difference between the two of you comes from. If the conflict between the two of you, if if the fact that your partner's health behavior is driving you crazy is rooted in a difference that you have yet to surface, let's try to surface it. Let's try to see if there's a difference going on between you and your partner that is creating the conditions for you to get into this tug of war or this change-don't-change kind of tension. By looking at it this way, it can open up some new pathways for creative problem-solving, pathways that just simply are not available when you're locked in a polarized stance. Okay, here we go. Route number one might be differences in experiences of oppression. We talked about how health habits are impacted by so many factors, so many unseen forces painful reminder of the cruelty of systemic oppression, that where we grew up or how much money we make physically impacts us. And health habits are notoriously difficult to change, let alone when they've been reinforced by external challenges or messages. So is part of the problem here that you and your partner grew up with different exposure to health behavior, different possibilities around health behavior, and that the echoing effects are alive and well today, right? The two of you may be, you know, in a sort of similar socioeconomic status now in a similar community now, but there may be some historical old stuff that's getting in the way here because you come into the whole topic of health with different notions of what you're entitled to, what you're allowed, what's possible, what's necessary. And so, is old stuff getting in the way? I think that that may be a difference between the two of you that is a factor here. Again, doesn't mean that if there's a difference, that means you should just keep your mouth shut, but it means that if there's a difference, you could be curious could be curious about how challenges they face in their life have shaped what they feel is possible for them today. How might that difference be contributing to how each of you experiences this health habit discrepancy? Okay, route two might be a difference in your orientation to time, present versus future orientation to time. Some of us are present-oriented, some of us are future-oriented. This idea was developed by Stanford professor emeritus, Philip Zimbardo. In 2008, he was interviewed for an article for the American Psychological Association. He said, quote, every decision that we make is governed by our internal time perspective. It's a sort of unconscious cognitive response style that's shaped by factors like our family, economics, geography, education, and culture, end quote. So to a present-oriented person, that trip to their favorite fast food restaurant is simply a joy or a time saver, so they can then focus on something that's more fun and rewarding to them than cooking. To their future-oriented partner, (laughs) this unhealthy dinner choice sets off a bunch of alarm bells if you eat fast food forever, you're going to become more and more unhealthy. You're going to get heart disease and I'll be left all by myself. Or why are they so lazy? Why can't they just prioritize cooking? You probably hear that present-oriented, future-oriented description I just gave, and you can feel yourself leaning one way or the other. If you're more present-oriented, you might be thinking that that worrisome, future-oriented partner is being a little bit You know, ridiculous. And if you're a future-oriented person, you might be feeling a rise of frustration that the present-oriented person can't resist what they want right now for the sake of the long game. And the truth is that there are benefits and risks in both of these mindsets. Each and every one of us is constantly in a state of tension within ourselves around how we navigate short-term and long-term interests. You don't want to go to the gym, but you know it'll be good for your physical and mental health. You're saving up to buy a home, but you also want to try a great new restaurant that just opened up in your neighborhood, right? How do we, when do we hold off on the immediate for the benefit of the long run? When do we allow ourselves pleasure in the moment because the long run is uncertain or because we just deserve pleasure right here, right now? So couples can get split. So here again, it might be that you and your partner are actually not that different around present versus future time orientation, but you can start to feel polarized. And it feels like one of you is the gas pedal and one of you is the brake. You sort of split the ambivalence. We call that in the field. You know, one of you ends up kind of taking on all the let's have fun now to hell with the consequences. And the other one takes on all the, we have to always, always, always make good choices because, you know, we've got to always be thinking about the long game. So I'm bringing that up because it may be that around this health habit issue, that difference between the two of you around present versus future is getting activated or getting brought into the foreground. All right, route number three is a difference between the two of you around risk tolerance. Perhaps your health habit discrepancy is rooted in a difference in how worried each of you are about bad things happening, the potential for bad things to happen. One partner may have experienced very few unexpected challenges in their life, and that partner may feel somewhat invincible. The other partner may have lived through that gosh-awful feeling of the rug being pulled out from under them, and that partner knows the experience of precipitous and unexpected loss, and that partner may therefore use safety behaviors like being scrupulous around health to protect themselves from that happening again, to mitigate the risk of that happening again. There's so much in life that we can't control. And so in order to feel as in control as possible, we might focus our energies on trying to be as safe as we possibly can be to guard against another future loss. So if that's You know, if that's going on for the two of you, if your health habit discrepancy kind of reflects for one of you, you feel like you've got some wiggle room, that you don't have to be super mindful of your health every day because life so far hasn't thrown you a curveball. And for the other one, they've been thrown some curveballs, and the way that they cope is by controlling whatever they can control. If that's going on for the two of you, I want you looking at that. I think that's a massive empathy opener. It like moves you from, we're not talking about the tobacco anymore. We're now talking about previous experiences, that sense of, you know, I haven't been crushed by the whims of fate yet. And your partner has, your partner knows that place. The partner who worries knows that place of you can have everything taken away from you in the blink of an eye. That's a massive empathy opener that I want the two of you looking at. It's a radically different conversation than should, shouldn't, everybody knows, blah, blah, blah. Okay, route four. The two of you may have a difference around an individual versus a relational orientation. So maybe you guys struggle because one of you brings in a me orientation and the other one brings in a we orientation, kind of like an individualistic versus collectivistic. For one of you, it may be like, you know what? Everyone can do what they want to do, live and let live. And the other one takes more of a loving, somebody means being responsible to them and being able to weigh in on their choices. If you have more, if you're the one with more of the we orientation, exiting your lane to be concerned about your partner feels like a reflection of love. And your we orientation is lovely. In fact, you know, the bulk of the research is on your side. When we become a we, we really do need to be mindful of how our choices impact each other. But I'm bringing this one up because it may just be that you are further along in taking that relational perspective than your partner is. And so what's getting activated here is lives and choices versus everybody gets to kind of do their own thing. So I want I want the two of you to be able to look at this together and talk about it in a way that conveys that, that there's a tension here, that both things are true. It's not an either or. Yes, in a partnership, people ought to be still allowed to make choices for their own selves, to have sovereignty over their own bodies. Absolutely. And at the very same time, There's a sense of interdependence. So that tension is real. And here again, the health habit discrepancy might be playing out because it's like you guys have split the ambivalence. And one of you is acting like every man for themselves. And the other one is acting like everything we do has to be in honor of and for the other. Liberty's leave policy was tremendous. Having the ability to take 16 weeks off fully paid to bond with my child was an incredible experience. At Liberty Mutual, you can find a career that supports you at every step, even baby steps. We offer up to 16 weeks parental leave for new moms and dads. And because not everyone's pathway to parenthood looks the same, we offer robust fertility, surrogacy, and adoption benefits, too. Learn more at LibertyMutualCareers.com and pursue your tomorrow today. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you. Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating hosted by Julie Kraftchick and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, last route. You know me, we got to talk about gender. (laughs) How, How gender differences, gender socialization differences can fuel a health habit discrepancy. So I think that for sure, cis hetero couples are going to bump into this most significantly and most profoundly. But I think that couples with all gender identities and all gender expressions can kind of play into the ways in which femininity and masculinity get mapped onto health behaviors. So research has found that men who are married to women are healthier than men who are divorced and men who are single. Why? Because women do a lot of labor that is around health behaviors. Women tend to provide healthy food. Women tend to ensure that their men see a doctor. Women tend to manage the couple's social calendar and household so that people are connected and people have what they need to have ease and safety and convenience in their lives. And for heterosexual couples, the mental load is not equitably distributed. Yet, maybe the next generation, we're making certainly progress, but we've yet to reach equity. And given the uneven divisions of labor in many homes, the fact that he may have done less than her around meal planning and shopping and meal prep and cleanup may have a few impacts. First of all, she may therefore feel authorized to to comment on his choices, right? If this is her domain, if she's in the domain of health and wellness, she likely feels authorized to comment on his choices. Number two, she may feel guilty if her partner's health is not in tip-top shape. Her criticism of her partner may be an effort for her partner to change so that she can feel less guilty. Is that a little bit codependent? Sure. Is it the completely understandable downstream effect of patriarchal socialization? Also sure. Also sure. Okay. And then third, she may struggle to have time to care for her own health because she's busy caring for everyone else's health. So there's downstream effects of this inequitable division of labor that is so common. Here's another way, and this is a sneaky one, that gender dynamics can shape health behaviors while we know that men struggle with body insecurities and low self-esteem our society has placed an outsized emphasis on women's looks for generations so things get really 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 tender when there is a man who wants to critique his female partner's health habits her her exercise habits her eating habits this is really tender given the backdrop of patriarchal Socialization that has taught women that their value rests in their body. And it hits different, as the kids say, it hits different when a man is struggling with his female partner's health behaviors than when a woman is struggling with her male partner's health behaviors. Criticism in general is a very quick route to eroded trust, safety, and connection. And a man who criticizes his female partner's body becomes another voice inside of her head. So even if in his mind, he's conveying, I worry about your health, she's going to hear it as another voice in her head, adding to the choir in her head that has been teaching her since the time she was a little thing, that her worth is in her appearance, that her body is a forever fixer-upper project. And then finally, here around gender, is the fact that women tend to take their male partner's unhealthy habits personally because women have been taught to regulate their self-worth around their male partner's habits and attire and physical appearance. Women have been socialized to be the keeper of the home, and if he's in the home, then somehow she becomes the keeper of him. This is so problematic. I am not justifying it. I am just naming it because what happens is you end up kind of fostering like a mother-son dynamic, and that's just not great. When a partner's health or appearance becomes somebody else's responsibility, it creates this like emotional enmeshment. It's the recipe for resentment. But I just want to name that part of what might be fueling this whole dynamic is gender stuff. The path forward is that you recognize the sneaky effects of gender role socialization. You talk together, you sort of look together about how gender is shaping this. Socialization is not your fault, but recognizing it for what it is is how you start to imagine possibilities beyond what each of you have internalized. That's how you carve your own path, a path that feels liberated, a path where you can appreciate yourselves and each other from a place of equal footing. Okay, we're in the home stretch, and I want to talk to you now about <laughs> what to do. We're going to get strategic. I mean, everything I've said to this point is. Is what to do, right? Everything I've said so far is designed to help you make shifts, to shift your definition of the problem, to shift your feelings about the problem. And I think everything we've talked about so far puts you in a very good position to approach your partner's unhealthy habit in a different way. One that's going to help you have a different conversation, one that's going to help you make different agreements. But I want to do what I have often done in our solo episodes, which is to talk to each of you, (laughs) to talk to the one raising the concern and to talk to the one who's hearing the concern. So first, the one who's raising the concern. So the first part of the episode, I gave you lots and lots of avenues for self-inquiry. Make sure that you flip the script and use those avenues of inquiry, of relational self-awareness to consider perhaps why your partner has this unhealthy habit in the first place, to consider what keeps your partner from thanking you for your concern and changing their behavior. Your partner's intent is not to make you feel ignored and disrespected, at least I hope not. Their unhealthy habit certainly feels personal to you. It feels like they're doing it to you, even as this habit has so much more to do with your partner's self-perception, your partner's emotional struggles, your partner's blind spots. So I want you to consider trying to understand their relationship to their habit, right? Try to really like decenter your own reactivity and really look at why is my partner struggling with this in this way? Doing that, kind of flipping the inquiry lens from yourself, which is what I've asked you to do so far, to wondering about them can put a little bit of distance between you and your reactivity, and it can possibly open up some compassion for your partner and some patience with your partner. And when you when you are raising your concern, I want to offer you some reminders about how you bring up your concern, because the delivery matters. How you bring up your concerns matters. So here's what I want you to keep in mind. Number one, start as you mean to go on. That's an old-time quote from an old-time British preacher named Charles Spurgeon. Start as you mean to go on. How you start the conversation matters. Research from the Gottmans has found that the first few minutes of a conversation sets the tone for the entire conversation. So have the conversation with your partner when you feel calm, not when you feel fired up because you discovered an empty bag of McDonald's in the garbage can. Number two, go meta. I mean, I think every single time we do a solo episode, I put this one in here somewhere. Go meta. Rather than just starting in, With your critique or your plea, are you available for a conversation? And if you're not available for a conversation now, when could we have a conversation? Number three, lead with love. I love you. I love us. I don't want you to feel hurt by my feedback. I don't want you to feel like you need to defend yourself or explain your choices. I just want the two of us to look at the impact that each of our choices has on the other And I want us to be able to talk together when we have concerns. Number four, personalize your request. Connect your concern to your love of your partner, to your care for your partner. Resist the urge to point out external sources. Research has found da 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 or my doctor told me da-da-da, or everyone knows you shouldn't da-da-da that approach, that kind of externalized, distant approach, You know, I think what you're doing when you do that, I think you're reaching for an authority because you feel helpless and because you feel unheard. You feel ignored. So you're like, okay, if my partner won't listen to me, here's the research. Here's what my doctor said. Here's what common knowledge is. But it ends up backfiring and it ends up putting your partner on the defensive. So see what happens when you speak from your heart. I am worried. This is goes back to the lead with love idea. I am worried. It would mean so much to me, right? Personalize your request. It would mean so much to me if you would consider. I feel so sad when, right? You're sort of reaching for your partner's heart. Number five is embrace something healthy together. See if you can shift the conversation from you to us. See how you can be helpful in supporting your partner, making healthier choices. This is tricky because I don't want you to become their coach. I don't want you certainly to become the one who doles out rewards or doles out punishments. That's not great for a dynamic. But a 2019 study from Harvard Health Publishing cited research out of Australia that found that when couples are working on health goals together, they tend to do better. Working on goals together makes the goals easier to achieve And it ends up having the side benefit of being really good for your relationship. It improves relationship satisfaction. The next idea I have for you, number six, is to tie it to a value. Tie your concern to a value. What do you know to be true about your partner? How is this unhealthy habit out of alignment with who you know your partner to be as a person? For example, your partner is a good listener, someone who really values making sure that people in their life feel heard. So, icing you out on this topic doesn't fit with the way that you know your partner strives to be in the world. If you can connect their behavior to a value, your partner may feel less criticized and more called forward in a really hopeful way. And then, seven, resist the urge to make an ultimatum. Unless, of course, you are. Jack's girlfriend from X because Jack's girlfriend's ultimatum was quite effective, as it turns out. (laughs) Your ultimatum speaks to your desperation. I get that. But your ultimatum is likely going to increase polarization and distance between the two of you, making it that much harder to put yourselves in each other's shoes, which I really want you to be able to do. It's been a big theme of this episode, hasn't it? Putting yourself in each other's shoes. The last thing you want is your partner sneaking around and engaging with, in this behavior, you know, hiding it from you. If you really feel like it's time to make an ultimatum, just make sure you do some soul searching to ensure that you're going to end up walking your talk, right? If you're going to do an ultimatum, are, are you prepared to back it up with action? So just be mindful of that before you do. Remember, your ultimatum probably speaks to your desperation. So how else could you say it? How could would your partner maybe listen to this episode? Keep your powder dry, as they say. Hold off on the ultimatum until you really are sure that whatever that ultimatum is, you feel ready to to enact it. Okay, now I'm going to speak to you, the partner hearing the concern. Not easy, not easy to feel like your partner wants you to change. Not easy to know that something that you are doing is driving your partner crazy. That does not feel great. So check in with yourself. When your partner raises their concern about your behavior, how do you feel? Do you feel loved? Do you feel controlled? Do you feel a little bit of both? This is a really important place for you to do some self reflection. And I'm going to offer you four questions to guide your self reflection. Question one, what might make it difficult for you to hear in your partner's feedback their desire for you to be well, to be happy, to be healthy? Perhaps if you really were to let yourself feel how much they want you to be healthy, you would feel guilt or maybe even some shame that you're struggling to make healthy choices for yourself. So see if you can tend to that shame that says I'm hurting someone I love and see if you can open up a little bit of space, even just a little space for a little moment to let in this actually pretty incredible feeling, which is, oh my gosh, I have created a life for myself in which I am so loved, so cared for, so cherished that there is somebody advocating for me like this. My partner is advocating for my health because they love me. See if you can breathe in just a little bit of that sense that you deserve this kind of care, this kind of concern, this quality of love. And maybe that's hard for you because maybe in the past somebody feigned concern about you so that they could control you or hurt you. But maybe hold open the possibility that that is not, in fact, what is happening now. You have created a relationship where you get to be loved. Part of you fears. That's what's happening. So you block your partner. But maybe, hopefully, your partner is coming to you with a desire for you to be well. And that stands on its own. Question two. What might make it difficult for you to let in the awareness that your habit impacts your partner? It is not the case that you are responsible for your partner's feelings, but it is the case that being in a relationship means you are part of a system and you do have a responsibility to that system. When you were a single person, you could be sort of a siloed self. You were kind of a closed system. But one of the side effects of partnership is that your moves now affect somebody else. Remember that connection is not domination. Your partner does not control you, but caring for yourself is a way that you say to your partner, I get it. I get it. We are in this together. What I do affects you. What you do affects me. I get that. It may it may confuse me a little. It may overwhelm me a little. It may make me like kind of tense up a little bit, but I get that. That's true. That is a relationship. A relationship is a system. I'm part of a system. I get it. I'm trying. Okay, number three, what keeps you from hearing your partner's concern as a plea rather than a critique? Listen, your partner might be critical, especially if your partner is feeling reactive based on their own wounds, as we talked about earlier, especially if your partner feels like they've been screaming into the void and they haven't been heard by you. I get that. There may actually be criticism there, but, or and, Keep open the possibility that you might be having a hard time hearing the difference between your partner reaching for you and your partner demeaning you. That might be really hard for you to suss out the difference between a plea for connection and demeaning or criticism. The fact that your partner wants you to do something different might feel the same to you as your partner saying they don't accept you as you are. See if you can remind yourself that from where they stand, where your partner stands, this is a change that your partner wants in the service of your health, not something your partner wants in order to shame you or to control you. If your family of origin was highly critical of you, if your attachment figures viewed your behavior again and again as a reflection of your character, I totally understand how easily you would feel attacked. I get that. And I want to invite you to tend to that younger part of yourself so that you can really take your partner's words at face value. So you can really feel into your partner's intent and desire. And finally, number four, what from your past might prime you to turn your partner's concern into a battle of wills? This is a little bit of an extension of the last question. It might be the case that in your quiet moments, you actually can totally see where your partner is coming from. And actually what your partner wants for you is what you want for yourself. You just have a really hard time saying it to them, letting them know, I get it. You're right. (laughs) I heard you. Get curious about why that might be for you. What what locks you up like that, even as you can, in your quiet moments, completely understand what they want, and you actually agree, and you want it for yourself too. Are you perhaps somebody who's at risk of being obstinate for the sake of obstinance? This is very often tied to a family of origin wound. When you were young, you might have actually had to resist, find ways to resist harsh, cruel, or unpredictable authority figures. And your resistance may have back then been actually a matter of self definition, a matter of sovereignty, an attempt to stave off somebody who actually was trying to control you or squash your unique expression of self. But what if it's different today? I have a hunch it's different today. I have a hunch that what you and your partner have created is not what you knew back then. What if your partner sees you as you are, loves you deeply? and therefore wants you well. I think trust is a really powerful tool here. Do you trust your partner? Does your partner generally have your best interests at heart? If yes, then use that trust to grease the wheels between your resistance and your willingness to try. Use that trust to take in your partner's feedback. I love my partner. I admire my partner. I know my partner cares about me. My partner is saying they're concerned for me. I will therefore take steps to modify my behavior. Okay, we did it. I hope this episode has given you lots and lots of strategies and opportunities for reflection. I really think that it has. Reminder that if you are already a newsletter subscriber, you will get the companion worksheet in your inbox. If you want to join the newsletter, you can click the link in the show notes, or you can head to dralexandrasolomon.com slash subscribe and join us in the newsletter. Reimagining Love is going to be off next week for the holiday. And no matter which holidays you celebrate, I wish for you and your loved ones that you have a season of health and ease and connection. I'll be back on January 2nd with you for a special New Year's episode. This episode is going to be a little bit different than what we usually do around here. I'll be sharing some thoughts about resolutions and then leading you through exercises that are designed to help you reflect on the past year and move into the new year with intentionality. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Until next time, happy holidays and be well. Do you have a relationship question that you want answered on the show? Visit reimagininglove.com to send a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. If you're looking for more love and relationship content, you can find me on Instagram at dr.alexandra.solomon or visit my website, dralexandrasolomon.com where you'll find my blog as well as the Intimate Relationships 101 e-course based off the popular class I teach at Northwestern University. Thank you for listening and see you next week here on Reimagining Love.